According to Wikipedia, <coughs> we get the English word disinformation from the Russian word disinformatsia. That's the name of a special secret government office created in 1923 by the Soviets with the specific intent to create and spread false and misleading information. Joseph Stalin, or, or so the story goes, chose the name Desinformatia, believing it sounded kind of French. And if anyone caught on to it, they might think it was a decadent Western world idea. So is that story true? Well, the Soviet office Desinformatia does appear to be true. The practice is even referred to in the 1952 Soviet encyclopedia written by the Soviets. And is that where we get the English word disinformation? Well, apparently not. Wikipedia has it wrong. French etymologists are right to point out even the Soviets named their office after the simple French word disinformation. What to believe these days? Today on Stories and Strategies, increasing public frustration and fears about disinformation. We speak with the president and CEO of the Institute for Public Relations about the IPR Disinformation in Society report. My name is Doug Downs, music off the top, a traditional Russian folk song called Russian Winter, performed by Derek and Brandon Fichter. My guest today is Tina McCorkendale, the president and CEO of the Institute for Public Relations, joining us today from Seattle, Washington. Hello, Tina. Hello, Doug. And I looked up on my weather app. Unfortunately, the stereotype today is true. I believe it is raining cats and dogs in Seattle. It is. I think uh, the past few days it's rained more because usually we don't get downpours, but it's been downpouring for the, the past couple of days. Pretty miserable. Yeah, Seattle and just North Vancouver. Look, I mean, it's completely socked in on the weather app. So, but it means beautiful flowers, hopefully in a week or two. Yes, I think it's just indicative of 2020 in general. So, <laughs> As, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tina, you have your PhD in communication from the University of Miami. You have a bachelor's degree in journalism and a minor in marketing from the University of Southern Mississippi, a master's degree in public and corporate communication from the University of South Alabama. You're a recipient of the 2017 Public Relations Society of America David Ferguson Award, and you've been inducted in the PR News Measurement Hall of Fame in 2018. Then just last year, you were selected as one of 40 national leaders to participate in the 91st Joint Civilian Orientation Conference, the most prestigious public outreach and full immersion program in the Department of Defense. That would be a whole other podcast. So let's let's book that one for some time in the future. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I got to shoot guns, go in helicopters, fly military or be in military planes with some great people. So hey, who who needs key fun. messages when you got guns, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> and I don't I'm not a gun person. So it was very weird. So yes. Awesome. Okay. So the survey that you did, I, I do want to get into what you heard, but let's first things first, tell us about the methodology to the survey, who you heard from, how and when. Yeah. So this is our disinformation study. It's our second annual one. Uh, and what we do, uh, this was sort of a charge from our trustees. And what we did was uh, uh, we uh, partnered with Morning Consult. They're a really great research firm and they're growing globally. 
And uh, they, we also partnered with them last year and we surveyed 2,200 Americans in late March, very similar to what we did the previous year, and then asked them a whole series of questions about disinformation, uh, what sources they trust, who should be responsible for combating it, how well those individuals are doing. And then we also added some questions this year about uh, how disinformation impacts democracy and the process. So. Perfect. Okay, we should classify the differences between misinformation and disinformation. And is all this just like a way to say fake news? Well, yeah. So this is, uh, I, I was about to say something also about fake news. So we deliberately use the term disinformation and we're very specific about that. Uh, you're right. There is a term, there is a difference between disinformation and misinformation, but a lot of times people use the two terms interchangeably. Uh, but they're not. They're different. Uh, disinformation uh, is about deliberately misleading or false information, that it's an intent on the sender of the message to deceive the recipient in some way, which is very different than misinformation, which could be I just published an incorrect figure in a report and then I can issue a correction. But the impact is very different. Now, fake news is really interesting because uh, this is a term that's been around for a long time, but um, thanks to, you know, primarily blaming uh, President Trump, that it's used in different ways and inconsistently. So it's used more so to describe information that people don't agree with, even though it could be true. So we focus specifically on using the term disinformation. So it's almost as if intent is is really the divider here. Exactly. Okay. One of the first questions that you asked Americans was, what are the issues that you are facing in your life? And we all have a lot of issues we're facing. Among the major concerns that you heard about were drug abuse, crime, gun violence. I, I know racial sensitivities are very strong, not just in the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, all around the world. So where does misinformation and disinformation factor in there? Yes. So what we asked, we asked people about the level of problems of typical problems. Are they minor problems, major problems, not a problems. And uh, the two most significant problems this year were infectious disease outbreaks. Not surprising because we were this is uh, soon after the uh, COVID was declared a pandemic and uh, healthcare cost and healthcare cost was at the top last year. So Paired with that, that misinformation, we had 61% of Americans said was a major problem, which was down from 65% in 2019. And then uh, disinformation was at 58%, which was down from 63% last year. Now, what should be noted, though, is that people believe that disinformation and misinformation are more significant than illegal drug use or abuse, crime, gun violence, and political partisanship. Uh, then so which is is interesting, I think. Wow. Um, and I hate to just repeat exactly what you said. People are more worried about being lied to than they are gun violence um, or crime. Yes, but we pay very little attention to it. Right. We don't have we have media literacy organizations and other organizations who are doing a great job at trying to um, combat disinformation. But it's usually not a major initiatives for government, for companies it's not ranked up there. And, you know, the, the bills that we typically see are about these more tangible issues, which are also, by the way, very important as well. You can see why the media is latching onto this so strongly. Um, uh, they've always done stories about uh, crime and gun violence, but the stories now about um, is all that true? And let's go to the truth barometer to see what was and what wasn't true. You can see why the media has caught on to this. So what are 
the most trustworthy sources of information, according to the survey? Yes, for the second year in a row, it's family. So family, which is a little worrisome for my family, <laughs> not immediate family, but my, you know, my circle of family uh, is, is concerning. But yeah, it was, uh, it was family was at the top and then federal agencies ranked pretty high. That was a new addition that we had this year, uh, like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We also, uh, interesting enough, and what I think is an interesting point is that when it comes to media sources, it's the local news that has an impact that people on both sides of the fence, whether you're um, in the U.S., like Democrat or Republican, that they both agree that the local broadcast news and local newspapers um, are the most trusted sources, which is problematic from the standpoint that that's also where we're seeing a lot of cuts in, uh, into funding. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's I almost want to just let that settle out there in terms of a message. That's one of the most trustworthy sources and, and yet they, they can't monetize it anymore as strongly. Um, so is there a clear correlation between those sources that we say are the most trustworthy and the sources to which we are getting our information? It would seem if I have these sources that I trust, it would seem those those are the sources I go to to get my news. But I'm wondering if that's necessarily the case. Yeah, so uh, we didn't ask this. Well, we asked about where people typically get their news and, you know, television, radio. Uh, but I think, I think, you know, compared to before, we don't necessarily have as clearly defined channels. There's so much information that's coming at us, whether it's on social or pushes on our phone, that it's really hard to isolate any source. I would say that... Um, we get a lot, I, I would also say that I don't necessarily pe think that people are, are as uh, conscious of what sources that they're actually receiving, right? I don't think people necessarily pay attention to where am I getting all this information on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's just something ingrained in what we do. And us trying to think about like what sources we consume it would be uh, difficult. Oh, I get, yeah, I get that. Where did you hear that? Wow, I heard that somewhere. Yes. It's like seeing a commercial you really like, and I don't even know what they were trying to sell. Yes, and this happens all the time. And what research shows is that over time you will, and this is another problem with disinformation, is that you will remember the content, but you don't remember the source. So when it comes to disinformation, and if you see some sort of content, you don't click on the headline or to see what the article is about. And then in your mind, this is a fact, but it's not a credible news source. And then you go around repeating uh, disinformation. Okay, so what are the top sources of disinformation and whom do people say is responsible for combating it? Yes, so Facebook and politicians were most <laughs> responsible for spreading disinformation. Uh, and then uh, Twitter and social and Twitter and YouTube more than half said that they were also somewhat responsible for spreading disinformation. So the social media platforms definitely a ranked um, pretty high up there. What was interesting to us is we also asked who is responsible for combating it. And President Trump was at the top of the list, along with the government, Congress, federal agencies, which clocked in around 60% said that, um, as well as journalists and news outlets. But what was really interesting for us is that, you know, we gave a list of 32 sources that people could choose from, um, not choose from, they had to answer all of them, but say, how responsible are they for spreading it and combating it? And of all the sources listed, all the 32, at least 25% uh, of respondents said every source, including people like me, are responsible for combating it. 
I kind of like that taking ownership of it. I do too. There's this old saying uh, that lies and and fake news travel six times faster than real information. Um, a, do you know if that's actually a provable stat? Because I think it sounds like something somebody just made up somewhere. But given the organic power of social media and that our brains are definitely wired to respond faster to fear through the amygdala, what's the likelihood of, of fake information traveling faster than real information? Yes. So that's actually really interesting. There was a, uh, a study done by MIT uh, by two professors who looked at the same thing about how fake news gets spread. And it primarily looked at Twitter. And uh, what it found is that uh, disinformation isn't necessarily shared by bots. It's shared by us. And here are the reasons why. Uh, one of the things that IPR is releasing is a guide and 10-point checklist for how people can stop. We, we call it the think before you link. And one of the questions that I know it's clever. One of it the is. questions that we asked uh, was, uh, how does it make you feel? How does the information make you feel? And disinformation is typically designed to make you, you talked about the amygdala, it's typically designed to make uh, you feel angry, really excited, because that spreads disinformation faster. So we ask people to reflect on what are you feeling at the time? Are you feeling really emotionally charged? Well, you know, think about could that be disinformation that you're sharing? A crude term for disinformation is lying. Now, truth be told, we lie all the time, I, every day, maybe every hour of every day. Here's a quick scene from the 2009 movie, The Invention of Lying, distributed by Warner Brothers in North America and Focus Features in the United Kingdom and the rest of the world. Now, the premise of the movie is an alternative reality in which lying does not exist and people are straightforward and honest about what they think and feel. Well, that sounds perfect, doesn't it? In this scene, Ricky Gervais and Jennifer Garner have gone to dinner on their first date. And the first voice you hear is the waiter who is greeting them when Garner receives that rescuing early date phone call. I'm very embarrassed I work here. Hi. Hi. Hello. And you're very pretty. That only makes this worse. <clears throat> your sister? No. Daughter? No. She's way out of your league. I'm, uh, thank you. Sorry, it's my mom. I, I think she's uh, probably checking on the date. They won't take me home. Hello? Yes, I'm with him right now. No, not very attractive. No, doesn't make much money. It's all right, though. Seems nice. Kind of funny. A bit fat. Has a funny little snub nose. Mm. Kind of like a frog in a facial. Yeah, but... No, I won't be sleeping with him tonight. Nope. Probably not even a kiss. Okay, you too. Bye. Sorry about that. It's all right. Don't think twice. How is your mom, all right? She's all right. Great. And you haven't actually seen the movie, have you, Tina? I have not. But I saw Liar, Liar, which sort of has a similar premise. So. Similar. Yeah. No, it's a brilliant movie. Um, it just goes to show that we as human beings, we do. We lie all the time. And maybe our society, it's woven right into the fabric. It's not going to stop. Now, because of our audience for this podcast, a lot of public relations practitioners or are, are, uh, are listeners to this podcast, I feel compelled because I've read the study, the survey. Um, I, I've got to highlight that the trust scores for PR pros and marketers were not good <laughs> in your survey. No. One in four people trust PR pros and one in eight 
say they trust marketers and advertisers. I'm not going to ask you to add podcasters to the next survey because I'm scared <laughs> of the risk. Why is that? Why don't? What can we do about it? And why don't they trust us? Yeah. So I think this is a separate study that can be done, and that's you know we do a really bad job at defending our profession, and I think you know because we surveyed the general audience asking about the perception of public relations practitioners. That if we then followed up with a question that said, what exactly does a PR practitioner do? You would get varied responses, most likely if they don't know somebody or they don't work for a company that has a communications person, they would get it from TV shows. And you have the TV shows that are most compelling, other than West Wing, right, which has a, a great press secretary, is uh, you get people who fix crises and probably not in the most honest way. So these fixers. And then people think, oh, those are PR people. And that's what they do is fix things. And, and it's all one sided. So I think that's probably why, um, why you see those numbers the way they are, which is a whole nother study and initiative people should take on is how to defend our profession. It doesn't help when our that some of the, the government officials that we see that are supposed in PR like roles are not telling the truth and dishonest. It doesn't do a great justice for us. There is a real trend for government communications professionals um, to be strongly advocating the party line as opposed to straightforward objective information. And you're right, that's a, that is a whole other podcast or blog. Now, given all the things that I see online, Tina, because I read all my social media feeds, it amazes me that not everyone agrees with all of my perspectives because <laughs> I read things online, the information and the determination seem pretty clear. Um, you have several tools at IPR. You've mentioned one that are terrific resources for understanding disinformation and misinformation. And why is social media and those algorithms within the social media playing a part in us thinking that everyone should think like us? Yeah, I would tell everyone they should watch The Social Dilemma. It's a great documentary on Netflix. And it talks, have you seen it, Doug? I have. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's really interesting because the algorithms do point you. It's it tracks your media content. So you're more likely to see things you agree with versus the items you don't agree with. Now, they always pepper those in. They can tell the amount of time you spend on a post, what profiles you're clicking on. And they it's really there's a great site or where they show the difference between a, you know, a conservative news feed and a liberal news feed. And it's it's striking. But yes, we're sort of feeding the diet, you know, eating on the diet that the social media companies provide us. And I do it too. I consume it and it makes me feel, I can feel it, you know, whether my blood pressure goes up, but yes, I do. It's the same thing. They're definitely, you know, puppeteering our lives in a way. And the tools that you have, you, you mentioned the checklist so I can identify, um, sorry, fake news. That's because I love that term. Um, yes. What are some, what are some of the tools that you have at IPR? Yeah, so one of the, the items that I, that I talked about earlier, we have this 10-point checklist uh, that were, uh, and it's so it's it's looking at like who is the author of the source and who's, the, and what we do is we go into detail about each of these. Uh, for example, one of the things I talked about earlier was does the headline match the content and asking people to actually click on the article and read it because what happens is when people see it on social media that they don't may not necessarily click on the content and then get stuck with the headline. And if it's something that sows distrust or division, it may be disinformation. So there's certain topics that are geared to sowing distrust and division, ones that are racist, um, misogyny, uh, homosexuality. When people have perspectives, that's typically more fake news generated. And so what we're asking people to do is we have these 
stops within that says, maybe take an extra look at this. And it's not just a simple checklist, but it really asks people to dive into these things. I personally think, and it seems like, well, it's a 10 point checklist. That seems like a lot just for one article, but it really is like a responsibility that we all owe. If we think about ourselves as almost individual, untrained journalists in a way, and we're sending information to our hundreds of friends that we should have a responsibility for what we are posting. Um, I was talking to uh, one professor who's gonna present at our research symposium on December 2nd. And she said, you know, it's not, it's not you educating people who have different views than you. It's educating people who are posting fake news that have the same views as you. That's where you can really impact. And I thought that was interesting. But on our website, we also have um, 10 ways to uh, uh, to 10 ways to identify misinformation from a behavioral science perspective. So behavioral science is one of our big areas as well. And then we have a bunch of articles and resources that people can go and just read about disinformation in uh, health campaigns. But they're all research based. Uh, rather than just like Tina's 10 tips for life, right? It's all based on research. <laughs> Perfect. Tina, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it, Doug. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Tina McCorkendale, the best way to do that is through the Institute for Public Relations website at instituteforpr.org backslash contact. You can also follow Tina on Twitter. It's worth it. At T-M-M Corkendale with a double C. If you liked what you heard, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. We're also hoping that you choose to follow and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever directory you're listening on. And would you do us a favor? Would you recommend this podcast to one friend? If you have an idea for an episode or you just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.